Good morning. Almost fell off the stairs. Could have been bad. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Phew. Glad y'all are here on this holiday weekend to uh, worship together. I'm grateful to be with y'all, and I'm excited about this morning. There is a um, cons- pretty consistent theme, and in fact, we talk about it at the table, um, of the Lord inviting people in Scripture to remember. Remember who you have been, who God has been, um, not simply so that we can uh, be good historians, but so that we can in some ways live in a new way based on who God has been for us. And, and today I'm grateful to be able to, to remember who God's been for our community, who our community has been, um, through the story of, of somebody else. And so I want to welcome up uh, John Thompson, who is going to be uh, our preacher this morning. And, and to kind of set him up, I want to remind you, or to tell you for the first time if you don't know, that we, like every church ever, were, was a church plant. We were a church plant about a little over 10 years ago. A group of about uh, eight people started gathering in a living room. And one of the mantras uh, in those early days, um, I think to try to make sure that we remain humble, was that Atlanta did not need another church. Like, we could fill up all the churches that are currently in existence, and we'd probably still have a couple more rooms, uh, a couple more seats to, to fill. And yet these group got together because they believe in the story of Scripture that says God sometimes does new things. And out of these new things and new vision, the Spirit moves and will impact the city and even the greater churches in ways that wouldn't happen otherwise. And, uh, and so we have grown, and now we are just a regular old church. But I think it's good to remember that we began organic, small, needing the desperate generosity of other people. I still feel like we desperately need generosity, but it's just not quite as desperate as uh, the place that John is in uh, currently. And, And I think it's really good to remember how we were supported along the way. We had a guy named Tom Cousins who gave seed money at the very beginning to allow us to focus on Jesus. Unbelievable gift. Focus on Jesus and not money. We had the Presbyterian Church offer us buildings, space at different locations so that we could focus on Jesus. And sometimes I think maybe we come here and we're just distracted by our own lives, but I hope in some ways as John preaches the word to us, his story and the reminder of our story might allow us to focus on Jesus. might be a gift. And if you hear things within uh, his preaching or what uh, he sees God doing, I hope that you might remember how God has been generous to us through certain people, and maybe you might feel called uh, in the same way. Uh, last thing I'll say, and I'll let Micah introduce him, is, is Dal- I think it was Dallas Willard once said, if you want to know the heart, where the heart is of your pastor, you should ask him how often he prays for the other churches that are, uh, that are nearby him. And I read that and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Glad no one's read that Willard book. Uh, um, but it stuck with me. 
And to have John here and to say, John's success is our success. To say that what God is doing uh, with John is as much his story as it is our story because it is Jesus' story being told. That is a word that we need to hear. And as much as the lives of the people next to you, their stories are your stories. This is what makes us the church. And so at the very least, I hope you might leave here feeling called to pray for John and to pray for the people next to you and to pray for the churches that you drive by on the way home. Because we believe God's telling a story in all of those places. And I'm excited to hear, and specifically, how it's happening with you. But with that said, I forgot to dismiss the kids. You guys are probably stressed <laughs> out about that. But you can be dismissed to head downstairs. And then we'll have Micah introduce John. I was just so fired up, guys. You were. Can't, I, can't wait, I can't wait for them to tell their parents how much that meant to them. There were a couple of people giving me very concerned looks, and I was like, I feel like I'm being biblical. I feel like this is on point. <laughs> nope, just the kids. Okay. All right, Micah. Thank you, Drew. So John is a wonderful friend of mine. Um, some of you who I've been in small group with may have heard me mention his name. John, to me, I, I, I sneakily wanted to go to John and be like, hey, dude, you going to talk about the Forrest Gump, Benjamin Button type life you've lived? Because he's lived a very larger than life life. Um, he, he, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't want me to say that, but I think it's been extraordinary the way in which he has been drawn to Jesus and the way in which Jesus has sent him. So if you're asking yourself, well, why John? Um, that's really why. I think in our vision frame, we talk about joining God's work in the world. And John is kind of uniquely positioned. The way in which God has positioned him is very unique, I think, relative to where we stand. And I think to where, how he'll, when he shares his story, that'll start to become apparent. Um, John is planting a church in Lilburn. Um, 30, 37% of the people living in Lilburn are in, in poverty. It's the most diverse um, community in the metro Atlanta area, yeah. um, which I certainly didn't know. Um, honestly, I think of Lilburn, and I, I think of Norcross, and, and a couple, another, sure. couple other communities come to mind. But um, anyway, he'll be able to shed more light on that. But I'm, I'm really excited that he's here um, to, to, to share with us today. And after the service, he and I, and I also want to welcome Abby, his wife, who's here, and Emmett and Grace. And is Micah here, too? Yeah, so their, crew, their whole crew is here. But we'll, I'll be in the back with John afterwards to sort of field questions because I, I think his perspective um, is really, um, really grace-ridden, really valuable, again, relative to where we stand as a community. So um, on to you, John. <laughs> on to you. Yes, is this, am I on? I am on. Okay. Um, hold on, let me set a timer because they said I have 20 minutes and I'm a recovering Baptist, and I could be up here all day. Um, but would you pray with me? Um, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place this morning. God, we, we come to you recognizing that unless your spirit moves, God, unless you're pleased to dwell among us, 
God, we, God, we are desperate people. And Lord, if you don't move in our midst, then all of this really is for nothing. God, if you don't give us ears to hear your voice through your word, God, if you don't give us eyes to see in your word, and if you don't give us fresh hearts to receive your word, then, Lord, we are most to be pitied. God, if we, if we are so reliant on ourselves and what we think we know, God, we... God, I, I just pray that you might be pleased to dwell with us this morning here that you would illuminate your mind, uh, our minds and your word to us. God, I pray that everything that we've done thus far and we will do going forward will make much of your son. Lord, I pray that um, you would help us to see how you've been sweeping us up into a story that's so much bigger than us, so much bigger than this moment in history that we live in. God, that you are sovereign over all of human history. And you're writing a story that's so much more beautiful than anything we can imagine. So God, would you enchant our hearts? Would you open our hearts, God, in a way that we would have a sense of awe and wonder at how beautiful and amazing and powerful and loving and kind you are. And Lord, we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for indulging me in that. Um, you've experienced extreme joy and extreme hardship. Think about your story. And I want you to think about your story, but I also want you to think about God's word. And, and God's word in the, the book of Job, it tells us that God holds the life and breath of all mankind and every living creature in the palm of his hand. Which means not only... Uh, is our time and our resources and all those things uh, on loan to us from God, but even so is our breath. The breath that's in your lungs at this exact moment is on loan to you. You don't own it. And God can take it back whenever he wants, right? That's the reality that we live in. It's not the reality that we focus on, but it's the reality we live in, that God owns everything. He even owns your story. The story you have is the story that God has been sovereignly weaving together and writing and, and, and pushing forward in your life. How did you get here? How did you get here? And as Drew has reminded us, because God is writing a story in all of us, then we're all connected. We're all being swept up in some, something more beautiful, something more complicated. The reality is, is that... Um, you are a living and breathing testimony to God's goodness. If you don't hear anything else that, we, that I even say or we talk about today, I don't know if you think about yourself that way, but you're a living and breathing testimony to the goodness and faithfulness and kindness and justice and mercy and compassion of the living God. Wow. So in that way, we all have a common bond. In terms of my story, there's not really much to tell. Don't let Micah mislead you. In fact, I haven't known him for 20 years. I just met him last week, and um, I paid him to let me come here. Uh, no, so I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, 
I, I grew up in like Powder Springs area with Micah and um, at least for the better part of life. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Both of my parents, they divorced when I was six. Um, I was raised by addicts. So my mother, I lived with her until I was 10. I think between kindergarten and fourth grade, we moved like 18 times because she was strung out. We didn't have any money. Um, we lived in rat infested, just gross, awful uh, places. That's how, that's how I lived. And then um, my mother went to rehab all the time, went to jail a few times, and then I moved to live with my father. My father was a functioning addict, meaning he worked two jobs, but um, he was also addicted to, he was recovering, you know, uh, heroin and whatever else. I don't know. He would go to the methadone clinic every week and, um, and, and we were never allowed to have people over because uh, the back end of our house was like a grow house for his marijuana stash. And I mean, it's just the way I grew up, you know. Um, and there was a colloquial sort of Christianity that seeped through a little bit, which was uh, kind of communicated in things like, well, we should get our life right with the Lord. Who the Lord is and what that means, we don't know, but that's kind of the extent of my gospel upbringing. And, and it was through the... Um, the friendships, really, of people like Micah and his lovely wife, Mary Lynn, and a group of friends that we had that I came to faith. I came to faith through athletics, through FCA. I was a junior in high school, starting my junior year. Um, that was August. And then in April, my father died of cancer. So I'm a brand new Christian. I knew my dad had cancer for three weeks before he died. And I've been on my own since then. Um, and that's kind of how I got started in life, if you will. And um, so I, I worked my way through college, kind of. Didn't, it didn't work out. And so um, I went into the Army, and I spent 12 years in the Army. I initially went in just thinking, I'll do four years, get some college money, get a fresh start, and then we'll see what happens. Um, but it turns out I was actually good at it. <laughs> I was good at what I did, and I found a home there. And so I went to college while I was in the Army. Um, I chipped away at it. It took me forever. Um, but I graduated in 2012, you know, some 10 years after I sat out to do it. And, um, and, and through that, the Lord took me around the world. I mean, I don't have to recap my biography. It's in your bulletin. But bottom line is, you know, God has been really good to me. Um, I went to Iraq. I almost died in Iraq um, six weeks or so after getting there, I think, maybe three months. I don't remember. Um, and, uh, but along the way, God has given me just faithful friends. Um, and so, you know, when he started calling me into ministry, I, I really didn't know what that looked like. But I'll tell you what sparked, I'll tell you what sparked the flame. I was living in Asia, and um, I'm living there. We're part of a kind of chapel, but our kids were crazy, and we could never drop them off at the nursery. And so we would like alternate on Sundays who could sit in the service versus who had to play outside with the kids, you know, and, um, and I was part of this international community, and God began to awaken my heart to the global aspects of what it means to be a part of the kingdom, and so I come back to the United States, and I, I came back to Atlanta four years ago, and here's what I started to see. Atlanta's a crazy diverse city. Our churches are not. God has gathered the world in our city, and the church is segregated. And I would talk to people, and I'd say, wait a minute, so why? What's going on? Oh, it doesn't work like that here. 
And I was telling Drew this, and I was thinking, like, same gospel, same Holy Spirit, doesn't work. I don't get it. And it sent me on this journey of, of trying to figure out, like, what are we doing? If God's church is diverse, and it is, Revelation 7, and if our city is diverse, which it is, right? And if God has gathered the nations here, and he has, and if the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down, Ephesians 2, you recall that Paul says that Christ created in his body one new man, this kainos man in the place of two, this new creation where the hostility between Jews and Gentiles has been, has been eradicated by the blood of Jesus, if that's true, and it is, and if the church exists to be a visible expression of a reconciled people, if we exist to be uh, the picture of the desired destination, then what is going on? And I started researching, and I found out, you know, like, in America as a whole, that typically churches are 10 times more segregated than the communities that they sit in, and that they're typically 20 times more segregated than the school system that is around them. And I just thought, God, what are we doing? And so God began to burden my heart for something that looks different. It looks different in our culture, but it's the biblical reality. That God is reconciling people. And, and we read 2 Corinthians 5, and Paul says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And in my Baptist roots, what that has always meant is, well, we just need to get more people saved, get them reconciled to God, as if there are no implications beyond that. And I started thinking about the great commandment, right? Like, love God with all your mind, whole, uh, heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, wait a minute. So we've been reconciled to God, which now allows us to be reconciled to ourselves. Because you can't love people out of an empty heart, right? You have to learn to love yourself. So, so we've been reconciled up, you know, upwardly, and now we've been reconciled inwardly, and now we can be reconciled outwardly. And I started thinking, Lord, what would, what would it look like to have a church that looks like that? I'm not saying that every church has to be multi-ethnic. I am saying every church should strive to reflect its community, whatever that means. And so as I started looking around Atlanta, I just didn't see it part and parcel. It should be the norm, and it's the exception. And so God started planting in our hearts this desire to see a church that looks like the kingdom. And I'm not saying that the churches that aren't diverse don't look like the kingdom. They do. They look like an expression of the kingdom. But man, how beautiful would it be? See, I believe, this is like laying my cards up front for you. I actually believe that the most powerful testimony to the reconciling nature of the gospel is a church that reflects the breadth and depth of its community, color, class, and culture. I really believe that. Revelation 7 seems to indicate that, right? And so that's the journey I've been on. And that's the journey that God's been calling us to, is to begin to look for places where there's huge disparity in Atlanta and say, well, someone needs to stand in the gap. So what does it look like for us to stand there? That's my story. But a text that's been integral to my story is a text that's in your bulletin, Acts chapter 11. I want to read it for you, and I want to walk through it very quickly. And... Um, and then we'll conclude, and I know Atlanta United's playing later and all that stuff, and so we gotta, you know, we gotta be quick. So here's what it says. Acts chapter 11, 
verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were, some, or now there were in Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's two contexts we have to cover very quickly. The first is the historical context. How do we get here to this text? You recall in Acts chapter 6, the ministry is growing, and so the church appoints um, what we would call deacons, seven men, right? They call out from their community, and one of them is Stephen. Stephen starts proclaiming the truth. Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets martyred, right? Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says that uh, Saul was there, and he approved of his execution, and then a great persecution arose in the church, and now here we are. That's how we got here. But what about our immediate context, Antioch? Antioch is in northern Syria at the time. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, the city was broken down into ethnic groups, and so you had basically people living in 18 different ethnic ghettos. And in those ethnic ghettos, there were often race riots. Um, you have a city that's full of Cretans and Athenians and Cypriots and Jews and slaves from various ethnic mixes, and you've got... Um, all these people from North Africa, it's just a melting pot. And this is the church that God begins to start in this city. Like most cities in this time period, it was rife with racial tension. So let's walk through it very quickly, and then we'll conclude. Look at verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So persecution has scattered the church, but really that's actually pretty, pretty mild. We would say in our day that, that these refugees who were fleeing religious persecution leave Jerusalem and they land 300 miles north in Antioch in Syria. Some of them catch a boat and they go to the Mediterranean. Others go to what's modern day Lebanon, but the church spreads. Some, some scholars think that the, the church spreads this way because they didn't obey Jesus' command to spread the gospel, and so God allowed the persecution to spread them for him. I don't know if that's right or not, but that's what people speculate. 
The bottom line is, it doesn't really matter how they got there. What we know is that God has brought these people. And if you notice in our text, it says that they were sharing the word with Jews only, meaning they were going around and they were preaching Christ from the Old Testament to the Jewish community there. That's great. Makes sense. But then our next verse says that ordinary men from Cyrene, some, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, we don't know who they are, on coming to Antioch, began to spoke to Hellenists, Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So we have these nameless men that show up in Antioch, and they start sharing their faith, and rather than following what everyone else has done, they began to look around, and they start sharing it with the Hellenists. Hellenists is synonymous for Greeks. In Jewish, the Jewish mind, there were two types of people. You were either a Jew, or you weren't. You're either a Jew or a Gentile, right? We all know that. And so what happens is these men show up, and rather than sharing the gospel with Jews, they begin to talk to the people who are not like them. And Luke tells us what they preach, which is really interesting. It says that they preach the Lord Jesus. And this is significant because if we look at verse 19, we see that the Jews shared the word. But the Gentile, the, the, um, the Cyrenian and Cypriot men, they didn't do that. They started sharing the Lord Jesus. Well, why is that important? It's important because if you're in a city full of pagans who don't know the Old Testament, why would you quote it to them? But what they did know is that the only Lord was Caesar, right? And so these men begin using something that they knew to proclaim a truth and point them to something greater. Massive city full of pagans, no knowledge of the Pentateuch. And so here's they start preaching the Lord. Here's the lesson for us. If we talk about joining God's work in the world, in order to effectively do that, we have to learn the world in which God has placed us. And I don't mean keeping up with the news, um, having a financial portfolio, and being astute to political nuances that are happening in our country. I don't mean that. Although those things are important. I also don't mean we have to be um, expert scholars in the scriptures, which is also important. But it, it's a little bit deeper than that. It's about beginning to enter into the stories of people around us. It's about surrounding ourselves with people who don't look like, act like, think like, vote like, live like, anything like us. It's learning to listen to the narrative that God is writing in other people. And it's about learning, for us at least, learning to tell the better story that God has been writing in people. God is writing a story in all of us, whether we know it or not. And the lesson for us from these men is that we need to learn to understand the world that God's placed us in. And frankly, it's just really hard work. I've found that most of us don't enter into the story of other people because it requires us to deny something in ourselves. It forces us to change some of our preferences or our comforts or our habits. We have to go out of the way. He keeps going. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church. And they sent Barnabas. So they sent Barnabas to come down because the word is spread that all these people are coming to faith. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, verse 23 and 24, it says that he was glad 
and he exhorted them to remain faithful. I love this. Barnabas shows up, he sees God's grace being poured out, and he doesn't nitpick and he's not suspicious, and he doesn't try to change what they're doing, but he's glad. The grace of God produces a gladness in him that frees him up and allows him to just celebrate God's work in the world. He rejoices, and God continues to move, but Luke keeps going for us. So Saul, so Saul, or so Barnabas went to Tarsus and he, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Here's, here's what I want us to see. Barnabas shows up in Antioch, and what he starts to do is he encourages them. So we talk about joining God's work in the world, and to do that, we should not underestimate the power of an encouraging voice. The power of a faithful person being encouraging. But he continues, he goes and gets Saul, he brings Saul back, and here we go, the church becomes called Christ, or, uh, starts to be called Christian. And what's beautiful about this is that this isn't the title they gave themselves, this is um, what people started calling them. Do you know why they started calling them Christian? Highly racialized, segregated city. Everyone lives in fractured ghettos, and the only thing that can unify them is not the Roman Empire, it's the Church of Jesus. I would submit to you that the same church that had the power to unify that city is the same power and the same church that has the potential to unify our city and the cities around us. So what do we learn from this? Really quick, two things. One, joining God's work in the world is about making disciples where you are. It's about making disciples where you are. These people were faithful. They were refugees. They held on to their faith. They were present. They recognized what was around them. They practiced good neighboring. They were intentional. They entered into the story. They're courageous. They, sh they share their faith. The Spirit of God moves. This isn't rocket science. Often I go to churches, and here's what I hear. How do we reach our community? And I look at the scriptures, and it's really, really simple. You know, in Micah 6, 8, it says, oh, The Lord has told you, O oh, oh man, what is good, to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. The Lord has told us what to do. Be available. I, I think the biggest problem that most of us have is margin. And what margin we get, we use for ourselves, right? And, the, and the, the scriptures is calling us to use it for something different. And so joining God's work in the world is about making disciples where you are. And secondly, God uses ordinary means to do extraordinary things. That's it. The church at Antioch was the first multi-ethnic church in the Bible. It was also the launching pad for the mission of God in the, in the New Testament. The, the pattern for, for the gospel going forth in the world historically has been the planting of new churches and the sending of missionaries. Now, I know we might debate on what that looks like in our modern context and all these other things, but the reality is, is that the way the gospel goes forth is by new churches being planted. And so this is the conviction that God's begun to shape into us and now I'm standing in a church that's 10 years old because somebody was faithful to plant, right? But, but I want you to, who planted the church at Antioch? This is the biggest takeaway, I think, for me. 
We don't know their name. They were nameless, ordinary men. It wasn't paid clergy, it wasn't the apostles, it wasn't Drew Ditzel and Micah Dalton and Miriam, the people on the payroll. It was ordinary people who loved Jesus and shared their faith, and God showed up and met them where they were. And because of the church at Antioch, we're standing here, sitting here today, essentially, right? God used them in a way that launched a mission movement that has spanned thousands of years. That's the truth. That's the reality. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And joining his work in the world is about making disciples where we are. So, here's the deal. Brothers and sisters, we live in an Antioch city. And this is, dare I say, a Kairos moment, right? An opportune time. We live in an Antioch city, and this is a Kairos moment. Drew is right. We could take all the churches we have that are existing and fill them up, and we would have some seats left over. And yet there would still be millions of people who wouldn't step foot in those doors, right? I, I, I want to be careful because I don't want us to feel like this is a revivalist situation. And yet on the other end, the mission of God has a church, and the church has been commissioned to do what? Make disciples. The most powerful expression of the reconciling nature of the gospel is a church that stands in the gap. And it's all done through the power of the Spirit working through ordinary people like you and me. Where God's placed you right now is his place to use you. I don't know what you do for a living. I know some of you do various things, but you recall that in Genesis, God took Adam and he put him in a garden and he gave him a job to do the work and to keep it, right? And so work existed before the fall. Well, the reality is, is that God has placed each one of us in a garden and he's given us a job to work and keep it. So what's the garden that God's placed you in? And what are you doing to work and keep it? That's the question. And, and my fear is, is that we're in a situation where it's so often so easy to outsource mission, to outsource evangelism, to outsource discipleship to people who are paid. But that's not how the church goes forth. That's not how the gospel goes forth. That's not how the kingdom of God becomes more visible to us. It's through ordinary folks who are trying to change diapers and pay their bills and their car breaks down and you drive a 97 Civic like I do or whatever, right? It's through ordinary people that God moves. And so my prayer for all of us is that maybe God would make us a people. That God would make us a people who long to see his kingdom come more fully and his spirit dwell in and around us. Let's pray. God, um, Lord, I'm just reminded that it's ordinary things that you use. God, you've You've called us to a specific context, to a specific company, or to a specific neighborhood, and Lord, you've brought us even to this community and this place, not by accident, Lord, but because you've designed it that way. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful in the spaces that you've put us in. Lord, we long to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven already. Lord, would you help us to be people who mirror ourselves after your son. And Lord, I just pray that we would be gripped by the grace and gladness that comes with knowing you.
and that we would long to share that with other people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.